Hello, and welcome back to The Indie, a podcast from the Santa Barbara Independent giving you what's happening in Santa Barbara. I'm Molly McEnany, and this week's cover is all about summer camp, as the Independent's Terry Ortega compiles a list of over 75 summer camps in Santa Barbara that are expected to be in-person and highly interactive. The annual summer camp issue has been a long-standing tradition for the Santa Barbara Independent, but this year seems more special, considering students from kindergarten to high school have had to spend the last year of learning online and away from their friends and peers. Hopefully, this comprehensive list will take some of the pressure off of our readers who have already spent the last year juggling work from home and virtual homeschooling. Head to www.independent.com to get the full rundown on summer programs to enroll your child in this summer. And now to discuss the local Goleta home-crafted salsa company, Casa de Comer, is Matt Ketman, Senior Editor at The Independent. Hi, Matt. Hey, Molly. So, Matt, why is the salsa-making business so important to the Comer family? So this is a really cool story because to me, it's kind of like a syncretization of, of California dreams, essentially. So you have on one side a, an immigrant family from Mexico whose mama Lydia is the, is the matriarch, uh, and they're from Jalisco. And she winds up teaching her son-in-law, who's a white dude from San Fernando Valley, you know, traditional Mexican recipes uh, in in their kitchen. And so they bond over these recipes. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny. He can't, he's not really big on spice. He can barely handle the heat. His wife's brothers are making fun of him and all that. But he ends up loving the process of roasting tomatoes and chili peppers over a kamal and blending it all together into, you know, uh, a condiment that we use on everything here in California. And so for them, it's really become this way to preserve tradition for them, um, you know, to really take these family traditions and, and, and preserve them for their own kids, because it's, it's Sean Comer and his wife, Sylvia Franco Comer, uh, and they have four kids, you know, young kids who are all involved. And so this company has become kind of a, you know, an outgrowth of their desire to maintain traditions and to connect over the table and over food, which is something that families of all cultures do. And so it's really kind of been this connection, I think, to uh, Mama Lydia as well, who passed away like over a decade ago. So this company really didn't get fired up until about 2018. Um, so she didn't really get to see the, the results of, of this early collaboration. And what Sean did uh, beyond taking these traditional recipes is that he had started this food truck called Street Level Cafe back almost 10 years ago when there was kind of a food truck phase here in, in Santa Barbara. Didn't last super long because... Um, the cities weren't particularly friendly to it. Restaurants were a little threatened by it. And we just don't have the volume that you do in places like Los Angeles, where the food truck craze is, is still going on. Um, but anyway, he started serving coffee out of this food truck and then quickly realized that people were more compelled to buy food. So he started, you know, roasting tri-tip in that Santa Maria style that's, you know, common here and across the Central Coast and now really, you know, across the nation to some extent. So he took that Santa Maria style tri-tip you roast over red oak, which gives it this really smoky flavor. And so he took that smoky flavor and was able to infuse it into these traditional salsa recipes. And so what they have, I mean, Costa de Comer's smoking salsas, uh, you know, that's their that's their line, are these salsas that have this really pronounced smoke flavor, which is obtained in 100% natural ways. They're not using liquid smoke, which is one of my first questions for them, because that's almost what it tastes like. There's, there's this ingredient that's called liquid smoke that you put in barbecue sauces. I have some in my fridge. It kind of freaks me out. It's like a little drop turns everything way too smoky. Um, but their, their sauces are balanced with that smoky thing. So you get this combination of cultures. Um, you get this memory of the past um, and you get, you know, something for their kids to look forward to in the future. 
Well, their salsa method is surely effective because even though they're a small brand, they seem to have branched out into a lot of different commercial grocery stores. How are they doing with production and size-wise? They're, they're doing well. So uh, what happened was, you know, they started, I believe, hitting like local stores, like really small local stores here in Santa Barbara back in 2018. And then in 2019, Sylvia actually went to uh, Santa Barbara City College's Scheinfeld Center, which is like a entrepreneurship kind of accelerator. And so she took some classes and, you know, in that, and they basically got set up for this pitch competition, you know, where you go pitch your business and they won essentially. So that meant that Gelson's, you know, which is a, a Southern California grocery store chain that goes from basically here to San Diego, they agreed to stock Casa de Comer also all over Southern California. So they went from basically being in like maybe 10 stores here to having to be in almost 30 stores across Southern California. So they had to figure that out really quickly. They were able to do it. In two months, part of part of winning the competition meant that they actually had a distribution deal lined up. So that's a big chunk of how to figure that out is kind of lined up for you. But they did have to buy new equipment. Um, they had to, you know, expand production, obviously, but they were able to do it in a way that preserved all of their, you know, small batch techniques. You know, they're not using huge machinery and it's fresh salsa too. So it's not like jarred salsa, like paste picante sauce or whatever. It is actually that fresh salsa you see in the, in the cooler aisles of grocery stores. So um, they've been able to expand that. And they've had some growing pains, it sounds like, but they're doing really well. And then, of course, COVID hits. And that actually, you know, there was a bunch of issues for everybody in any sort of food production or just all of us. But they, they think it actually kind of helped them because they were actually physically able to be restocking these shelves taking over to some extent competitors shelf space when competitors weren't able to stock the shelves. So they're out there stocking shelves. And then you have a bunch of empty shelves because people are panic buying essentially. And so there's a lot of customers across Southern California who found uh, Casa de Comer or Casa de Comer. Comer is their last name and also means to eat in Spanish. So I'm actually not sure which way you're supposed to say it. Uh, but there are all these customers that found Casa de Comer uh, salsas because maybe that was the only thing left on the aisle. And so usually maybe they pick something else, but they pick this one. And now those are new customers for them because they're coming back and, and really liking it. And stores are asking for more and they're working on some uh, other, you know, potential flavors, maybe some other dressings, things like that. So they, they look forward to, you know, growing the entire concept. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for discussing with me the story of the Comer family and their salsa, Casa de Comer. My pleasure. Go buy some chips. Now over to Nick Welsh, executive editor of The Independent, to talk about the Poodle op-ed piece on Hero Pay, a hazard pay ordinance proposed by the SB City Council recently. So, Nick, what are the parameters of the proposal regarding certain frontline workers? Well, this is a measure that was proposed, I think, pretty much by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Local 770. And they were first and foremost targeting grocery workers union and non-unionized grocery workers. And in addition, uh, they were expanding their reach to uh, people who work for CVS, Rite Aid, and pharmacies like that, the big pharmacies. The idea was that, that the, the people who fell in that category should get paid five bucks an hour extra. And they called various names, appreciation pay, hazard pay, hero pay, uh, hero pay being one that sort of gets used a lot, and um, it was being proposed here at five bucks an hour. Initially on the table, it was going to be for 90 days, which is four months, and then they sort of backed down and to uh, two months is 
now what's on the table. The idea being that the uh, big grocery chains have made on average, if you look at the big, like 13 of the biggest grocery chains, they made on average 40% increase in profits, uh, more than they, uh, over the first two quarters of the COVID pandemic, than they made the previous year. Now, if you look at Kroger's in particular, which owns Ralph's, it made somewhere between 90 and 100% profit. So that's a lot. Brookings Institute now, Washington, D.C., sort of a, uh, a fear sucker suit revolutionary uh, think tank. They determined that the average grocery worker has seen an increase in their pay of about $1.11 an hour. So the idea was is that the, the people most at risk and most at hazard uh, are not getting compensated while the big companies that people had to go to because they couldn't go to the restaurants, they couldn't eat out. So they were going to the supermarkets. They were These are the people who were there for the toilet paper rush, the water rush, all the different rushes and all the frenzies. Oh my God. These are the people at the front lines of that and they needed to get more than a tip of the hat and a uh, one-time bonus. So that's, that's the idea behind it. So why now? Why are grocery store employees being included in hazard pay? Santa Barbara's coming out of red into orange tier, and it almost feels like the upcoming election has influenced the council to seek measures that will help them gain the votes of other workers and people in general. Well, that is something I, I, I speculated on and suggested on, got a bunch of blowbacks on that. Why now is a good question. I mean, the big noise for this really started um, in November, which at a time when COVID was just blowing up, right? And people, the hospitals were being flooded. And it was really a very, very, very scary time. And particularly if you were a uh, frontline grocery worker, I mean, the uh, local union that I referred to, UFCW Local 770, they got about 20,000 members from LA to San Luis Obispo County. And in, in a recent newspaper article, uh, one of the union spokespeople was saying that they've had 1,440 people get sick. I'm sure that they've had a lot more people who are quarantined. They started this push in January. So Long Beach is the first city that passed one of these ordinances saying, thou shalt pay these guys. And it was four bucks an hour down there, not five. And it sort of has expanded to the point now that we have like I think somewhere in the ballpark of 30 cities throughout Southern California doing it. And I'm led to believe that the union approached certain council members and said, would you put it on the ballot? So, you know, Megan Harmon, for example, who is, uh, you know, who is certainly the, the primary spokesperson, though Oscar Gutierrez is also involved here. She's running for re-election, but she's pretty much running unopposed. So. It's not necessarily the case you can get a bunch of money, but I think she's safe. She can do it. You know, there's been speculation that maybe Harmon wants to, um, she's seeking an appointment to the California Coastal Commission. She has competition. If that union was making calls on her behalf, it probably wouldn't hurt her. But all that speculation, I just think it's, the union was looking for some friendly people on the city council to add another uh, city to its risk of cities who are participating. Now, this piece is for the poodle, which means that a certain amount of opinion is warranted in it. So I wanted to ask, what made you so upset about 
the situation, especially when you have someone in your own family who works in a grocery store on the front line? I guess I was really irritated. I mean, A, I was just in a grumpy mood. You know, that's, that's part of it, too. Um, but the other thing that really did irritate me is, okay, great idea. Um, it just seems like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, there's no buildup for it. And it's late. You know, it's just, it's a day late and a dollar short. It's, you know, we are, as you said, we've, we've just made the transition from the red zone to the orange. And from what I'm hearing, we're going to be going into the, from orange to yellow, if we continue at the rate we're moving, fairly quickly. I think I heard, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor say, you know, early this summer, we're going to be in none of them. Again, we will see because anything can happen and has happened in the past. But it just seems like this would have been a wonderful idea if it was proposed in February or even March. But right now, as the election season is, is sort of getting into gear, one can't help but think, okay, it's just sort of a gimmick by activist members of the party who are trying to get elected. And, and really, I, as I mentioned in there, I have a son who works for Trader Joe's, and you know we have experienced uh, you know, vicariously some of the uh, stress and strains that he has had to live with. So I guess I was just a little bit more irritated by the late hour of the uh, help. I mean, the reality is, you know, some of these companies, actually, like Trader Joe's, for example, they have done a pretty good job uh, with. Uh, hazard pay already, they increased it from $2 an hour to 4 bucks an hour. Kroger's, on the other hand, or Ralph's, you know, they, they initiated some hazard pay like late last year or early last year, and then a month and a half later, discontinued it. So it was really, oh yeah, we gave some hazard pay, but it was not much. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for speaking with me. Well, it's my pleasure. You take care. Thank you once again to Terry Ortega for compiling that list for the summer camp issue here at The Independent, as well as Matt Katman and Nick Walsh for speaking to me again. You can find both of their articles at www.independent.com. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany. Tune in next week for another episode of The Indie.